We are on our third week in the book of Titus. It's been going really fast. And Titus is a book that is written to people on the island of Crete. And so one of the metaphors I wanted to use is that imagine we are on that island. Chapter 1, we talked about the island represents people who God called out. The church are people who God has called out to be His sanctified, holy people. Last week we talked about how God has given the church elders or leaders for the purpose of making sure the church stays straight or fulfills the duty of a bride. Pure and single-minded devotion towards our groom, which is Jesus himself. Today we're going to talk about a very strange topic. Somebody said, I like doing book studies because you can't avoid some topics. And today we're going to talk about another reason why the elders are needed. And the, another reason why the elders are needed, because everybody on the island isn't necessarily an islander. Sometimes people get on the island and they're pirates. A pirate is somebody who robs and plunders. And actually in one verse we're going to see where it says people have come into the church and they are upsetting whole families. The NIV says they're ruining households. So I'm going to use this analogy that sometimes people in the church are pirates. They've come to plunder. But there's a problem with talking about pirates. There's a big problem. Many in our church are rather fond of pirates. I won't tell Sue Kaler. I won't mention your name. Ann Rawson. And my wife is one who is fond of pirates. I don't understand. Why do people like pirates so much? Especially that Jack Sparrow with that cheesy mustache, you know, a little bit under the... Who would wear that? That is cheesy. See how I wore that? See? Some people said, where's your Hawaiian church? I dress like a pirate today. See? You guys aren't laughing. First service didn't laugh at that. Anyhow, let's continue. You know, a lot of Christian fiction is built on pirates. A lot of the books you ladies read are about pirates. But I'm partially the blame. Every time I put my daughter Ginger to bed, I tell her a story of a pirate. So in a way, we're all guilty of enjoying pirates. It's a human problem. We have a tendency to romanticize and paint what is truly dangerous and wicked as something interesting, novel, and entertaining. Instead of warning people about pirates, often we promote them in our culture. It's the same question I remember growing up. I was a nice guy in school and all my friends would ask, why do the girls always like the bad guys? It's the same question. There's this, with wickedness there seems to be adventure and risk. But the true story is, with pirates, they're dangerous and disgusting. Actually, the true Blackbeard, his name was Edward Teach. He lived a real life of piracy where he would sink vessels. He stole one vessel, put 40 guns on it, and called it Queen Anne's Revenge, stationed outside of South Carolina, and he would just wait till merchant ships came in, sink their boat, and take all their stuff. He would take caskets of wine, flour, gold, and fine clothes. He'd capture people. He wouldn't kill them, but he'd steal everything from them. And sometimes women would have nice diamond rings, and instead of just pulling them off their fingers, he'd chop the fingers right off. Blackbeard was evil. You might have heard of Charles Gibbs, actually, in Pirates of the Caribbean. One of the 
first mate of Jack Sparrow is Gibbs. Well, Gibbs was a real pirate, and he would, instead of taking captives, kill all of them because they couldn't testify in court that way. And he's the one that came up with the phrase, dead men tell no tales. It's not a cool movie title. It means they don't have to witness against me in court, so just kill them. There's another guy, Henry Avery. He would torture people just to get all of their gold, even their teeth. He'd just pull it right out. True pirates, true pirates are pitiful and they're putrid because they steal and destroy. And as you will see, metaphorically speaking, even in, could be our church, there's pirates. Let's read, starting in verse 10 of Titus chapter 1. Paul writes to Titus, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Quick question, if he's a Cretan and he said all Cretans are liars, is he lying? Let's keep reading verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. We're talking about pirates. People that act like Christians but are hiding under a mask. As I was reading, actually, verse 10, it talks about these insubordinate people. Insubordinate means people that don't like authority over them. Insubordination means I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. The next word jumped right out at me. It says, for there's many insubordinate and empty talkers. The word empty comes from the word vanity. means vain. There's no, of no substance. And they talk and talk and talk, and they don't talk about anything. It's like a wind that just passes by. And it reminded me of one of the first books I read as a Christian. My mom gave me this old book. It was called Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim's Progress is the story of a man named Christian and his way to the celestial city, which is heaven. And along the way, along his pilgrimage, he would meet all kinds of different people. Some were good and helped him in his walk, but some were bad, dangerous, and to be avoided. And one of those people's names was Mr. Talkative. And Mr. Talkative was dangerous. And here's what John Bunyan says about Mr. Talkative. He may have a fine tongue, but he is a sorry fellow. This man is for any company. He'll talk anywhere. And he especially likes to talk on the ale bench, or he likes to go to the bar and hang out and talk there. And the more drink he has in his crown, the more of these things he has in his mouth. However, religion has no place in his heart or house or conversation. All he has lies in his tongue. He says and does not. He talks of prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of the new birth, 
but he knows but only to talk of them. John Bunyan writes, I have even been in his house with his family. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. There is neither prayer nor nor sign of repentance for sin. He's a saint abroad. However, he's a devil at home. His poor family is daily subject to his anger. Good men are ashamed of him. They can neither call him brother nor friend. And the very naming of him among the faithful makes them blush. Wow. One writer says, talkative, has a lot of commendable qualities. He's cordial. He likes the company of other Christians. He likes talking about most things concerning God. He expresses even delight in the Word. And he knows it well. He sees value in learning truth and knowing doctrine. However, his life doesn't measure up to his talk. Though talkative appears to be a passionate pilgrim, his life looks better from a distance than close up. Strangers think he's more godly than people in his house do. This is the pirate I'm speaking of today. This is the pirate that Paul's writing about in here. It says he's an empty talker. It says two more things in verse 10 about him, which I think are really shocking about this pirate. It's really shocking. It starts off by saying there are many. There are many. Wait a minute. What is, that means there are many in here. In other words, there are more people like Mr. Talkative in the church than you may think. I remember listening when I was going to seminary. I was, I was at lunch, and these two uh, students were arguing, and one student was saying, anybody that comes to church has to, be a, has to be a Christian. Why else are they in church? And the other student said, no, 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 no. Don't you remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? The wheat looks just like the tares, and God lets them grow up together so you can see if they have fruit or not. And the tares are the thing that looks like wheat but has nothing. And so then God will rip them out of the ground and throw them in the fire. So it sounds like sometimes the true believer and a pirate grow up together. Second thing it says about this uh, empty talker is that he's a deceiver. He or she is not what they want you to think they are. That means the pirate, the pirate may be someone you never would have thought is a pirate. The pirate may even be you. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that's a judgmental statement. No, I'm just saying a deceiver means you are deluding somebody for the sake of thinking you're somebody else. I have often heard that eternity will offer two major surprises, two huge surprises in heaven. Those who get in and those who don't. The problem is with the seat that I've seen is we can actually fool ourselves about ourselves. That's why 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself, check, check out your heart to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Why does he write that? Because the heart's deceitful above all things. So let's do some examination. We're going to take this passage and examine what a pirate looks like. How he dresses. 
how he talked. Because this whole idea of being a deceiver means that a person wants to be seen as someone they're not. Another word we use for this is hypocrisy. And when it comes to hypocrisy, I don't think Jesus hated anything more than that. Actually, one of the most scathing diatribes Jesus ever gives us Matthew 23. That would be a scene I would love to see. If you've ever read Matthew 23, he's going after the religious leaders, like hard, hardcore. And in verse 27, here's what he says about them. They are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within them are dead man's bones, or dead people's bones. Sort of like our fascination with pirates. We may think they're charming. Sticks and stones, love. You know, and he talks like that. And he moves around. He's really charming. But inside, somebody's really like that. They're nasty. Dead bones to a Jew meant unclean. Because if you even walk near a grave and you were Jewish, you became unclean. So this idea of a hypocrite means if I hang out with a hypocrite long enough, I too could become stained. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, bad company corrupts good behavior. It, it attaches. So, what's the mask? Well, in verse 10 it says, not only the empty talkers are deceivers, but he says, especially those of the circumcision party. Those were the religious Jews who blended the teachings of Christ that you needed to believe with Moses, you also need to be circumcised. They're people who blend grace with law. They're people who blend faith alone, the clear water of faith alone, with the poison of works. You know, you could have a whole thing of clear water, but you take one drip of poison, it poisons the whole thing. Do you know faith, if you just say you must do this to be a Christian, it poisons all of grace? That's what was happening. A uh, pious and devout person is a person who really believes you need to perform necessary actions to prove you are one of the elect. Pious people do all they can to look and act holy on the outside. And pious people, it's really strange, pious people have a way of looking just holy holier than you and you feel it when you're around them like wow they are really they are really holy they take a lot of different shapes and forms they could take the short the form of an old lady with a rosary who's bent over and cries my grandmother took that form she'd have that rosary and i'd ask her what she believes about christ and she didn't really know but boy could she do the rosary you're not supposed to talk about people like that we wear masks. Some people wear the mask of the King James believer. And they or no, they talk like this. You know, they get that buzz haircut and they got a three-piece suit and a tie. They put that King James Bible underneath that arm and by golly, they're there every Sunday night and Sunday afternoon and Monday night Wednesday night. No, you don't like that? Well, okay. Some people, some people are, have long black beards and wear black robes and wear these wooden chains and they have pasty white skin, and they say they're priests, and they walk around suffering everywhere they go. It's like that in Russia. Talked to this one guy carrying an icon everywhere he went. And I would say, 
Do you believe that that icon helps you get to know Christ? It's a window into heaven. Well, no, it's not. You're not supposed to make those images. That's what the Word of God said. He looked holy, but did he really know? Some people are like hippies. They, they say peace, and they drive a VW van, and on the side it says, Jesus saves. They got a rainbow T-shirt. Some people are really cool. They wear skinny jeans and a black jacket and kind of shaded things. Slick back their hair. Some even befriend actors and singers. The key, the key to the hypocrite is they want to look holy so you think they are close to God. Not everybody who does that is a hypocrite. I'm not saying that. However, what I am saying, that's where hypocrisy starts. Hypocrisy always starts with image. Always. Impression and image for the hypocrite is more important than an intimate walk with God. This is something I really noticed in youth group. I noticed when people are really intimate, like they really have a real good relationship, you don't need to broadcast it. But kids that don't, they're the ones that do the PDA. PDA people are people that need to show you that they have a good relationship. But people that actually do have a good relationship, especially marriages that do have a good relationship, they don't need to broadcast it because it's sacred to them. Why do I want you to share in something that means a lot to me? And I think sometimes faith is like that. People that really know God don't need to show it. That's why God says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Second thing is what I find here about the uh, pirate in verse 14 talks about how they devote, they try to get their followers to devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people. So in other words, these people... They, this whole idea of Jewish myths is that they're spiritual insiders. You'll understand what I mean in a second. The second mask is not only do they look pious and devout, but they come across as if they have inside information about God nobody else has. This word myths, in Jewish myths, literally means a fabricated story that seems to be carrying some lofty spiritual truth, some secret but it's not based in any real reality. That's the idea of a myth. And it looks, wow, whoa, but it's not real. There's a lot of Jewish myths that I came across, but I'll tell you about the myths that we follow here. There are Christians who think they know more than you because God showed them a special insight, or they read a popular new book like The Harbinger, or they... uh, They have some new mysterious prophet they follow who teaches them about blood moons and the return of Christ or Daniel's secret diet or Enneagram reading. That's the new cool thing. Or Kabbalah insights from the Kabbalah or the Bible code or how to tap into God's power through positive thinking. You just just think it, man. If you think it hard enough, it becomes reality. No, that's not true. It's like the secret. Some people believe you can harness Tai Chi to balance nature's forces. Some meditate on the seven mountains of God and you'll climb the mountains in your meditative prayer. What mountains? The seven mountains God showed me. Where? Well, in my mind, in my study. Some people teach if you bury a statue of St. Jude in your front yard upside down, you'll sell your house. A lot of of my family tried that. Some people teach you put flowers near statues of Mary crying or you go to a church where a guy has a stigmata in his hand which is a bleeding palm. You'll have special favors. 
The newest charismatic teaching is the seven mountains mandate and the manifest sons of God, special people with special powers issuing God's kingdom on earth through their ability to pray. It's all about secrets. And I have secrets and more secrets. And if you study what I study, you'll know more than the average Christian and you'll be closer to God because I got secrets. Secrets. Keep it secret. I've even heard some people say, if you come to our study group, if you come to our study group, when we sing and pray, we really meet with God. So you're saying the church doesn't meet? What are you saying by that? Other people, well, no, we, we just meet with God. So we don't? I don't understand. It's, I have a special insight. Insider. And then the third thing is, uh, the end of verse 14 talks about the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So they're teaching. Commands has an urgency. You must do but they're commands of people. They are man-made commands. So this third mask they wear is they are a law unto themselves, meaning they've made their own commands, and you've got to do what they say if you want to be close to God. So they become a law unto themselves. So they're insubordinate, verse 10, meaning they don't want anybody over them. However, they want to be over everybody else. There's people that don't want any church authority because they want to be the authority. They want to tell people. So they don't like to be told what to do. And they'll teach anyone who listens. You need to do this. Some preachers and denominations are like that. They love to be the gatekeepers of God. Look at Colossians. Go back five books to the left in your Bible. Colossians chapter 2. He talks about these kind of commands. In verse 20, And Paul's talking about how this happens. He's saying in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that the elemental spirits that some will call the basic teachings, and the basic teachings are you do this to become this kind of believer. So if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, meaning... These regulations of if you fast or if you do this or if you don't do this, if you wear this or don't wear that, or if you eat this or don't eat that, you are more more the kind of person God wants you to be. In verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh. I'll give you an illustration of what I mean by this. My grandmother often would, she would fast. And often she'd fast on really important days to show her devotion to God. And she sometimes would fast on Christmas. So she'd make a big Christmas dinner, a big feast, and she would serve it to the whole family. And my dad would say, Ma, sit down and eat. I can't, I'm fasting today because I love the Lord. So, so all of, those, all of us who eat don't love the Lord. Well, that's up to you. And my dad would go, Ma, stop that religious stuff. That's ridiculous. And that's what this is talking about. This religious stuff, it doesn't really make you closer to Christ. It just makes you appear like you are. It's a game. I remember about 13 years ago, a couple people left our church. Right when I became the senior pastor, they left our church and they 
went to a, a home church. They started their own home church. And I said, why? And I, they said, well, we found this leader who, he, he said how, he hates how denominations, there's so many different denominations and divisions within the church. And so he decided he's going to go start the one true church. I said, so you're telling me he doesn't like divisions in the church, so he's dividing you from the church for the sake of forming a new church. Well, well, no, yeah, yeah, yes, he is. He's dividing and conquering. He's pulling you from the body you need, but kind of promoting it like they're the true church. Actually, somebody's telling me about this church that formed, this home church that formed all these people left their church so they could form their home church but the only problem was the first time they met they they disagreed on whether they should use juice or wine for the communion service so they split (laughs) it's crazy that's what this is talking about these people that just don't like to be underneath anybody they're pirates and they want to capture you and pull you away from the body But if you were really to know these pirates, what they are like alone, what they think behind closed doors, the mask would come off and you'd see them for who they are. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 12. Actually, verse 12, it's kind of strange. He quotes a famous philosopher of the day. His name was Epimenes. And he quoted about how it's a poem. Cretans, he says, a prophet of their own. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so scholars are like, he's quoting a popular scholar of the day so he could criticize the people but blame the scholar. I think he's kind of doing that. But I think what he's also saying is, see, even even the person who's not a Christian, the philosopher who's not a Christian, they can spot hypocrisy a mile away and they realize what's underneath it. It's not good. I remember when I was very religious going to a religious church, I remember listening to a Billy Joel song, a popular poet of our day. And he sang this song, Only the Good Die Young. And I remember listening to it. And man, he was, he was explaining the kind of church I was going to about how these, you know, the girls are hiding behind stained glass curtains. And really, that they, they're hiding, they're faking it. And they need to realize, just have a good time because only the good die young. And it's kind of a mockery on the hypocrisy of the church. So popular poet of that day was, wow, how do they know? Because all hypocrites are the same. They are inside liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. In other words, they're liars, meaning if they're deceiving you, they're lying to you. Hypocrisy is all about deceit. It's not only as... uh, not only when I try to deceive you, am I lying, but it's Satan's language. It's Satan's way of getting people to follow him. If Satan told us the truth, do you think any of us would follow him? Come follow me. I got kicked out of heaven. I'm going to be tossed in hell for all eternity and tortured. And I'll look like a maggot at the bottom of hell. Come follow me. It'll be a lot of fun. You're like, what? What's wrong with you? No, he tells Jesus, he says, you follow me. And I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. If you follow me, I'll let you have sex outside of marriage right now. And it will be grand. No, it won't. It will destroy your life. He's a liar. He's a liar. 
But he lies because if, here's, here's another reason why he lies and why lying is so dangerous. Here's why it's so dangerous. It's because if you are good at it, if you're good at it, you can get away with everything else. If you're a good liar, you can hide the brute, which is the beast and the lazy glutton. And all that is is the side of you that just wants to have what it wants. It wants to eat, drink, and get its fill of all of its gross desires. And so a lie shields that. More than anything, lying shields us from hearing the truth about who we are. Conviction doesn't penetrate when I let lies shroud and insulate my heart. I'll explain what I mean in my own personal life. When I went to church before I was a Christian, I was led to believe, and I learned this by watching, even from a young age. I really learned this by watching. I was led to believe by watching other hypocrites that going through the motions of church without meaning it was enough. I really learned that just watching. The lie of religious hypocrisy, acting without really believing, shielded me for years from conviction and guilt. I would genuflect. I would do the sign of the cross. I would walk in church with a sober face. And when you do all three together, watch, all three together, and let's say these are the doors, and I dip my hand in the water. That is impressive. See how holy he is? Do you know how many people do that all the time? And if you point it out, how judgmental. I'm, what I'm talking, and I say this often, we serve a real being who lives, who sees me right now. He sees me right now. He's sitting at his Father's right hand right now. And this, to him, the ceiling doesn't exist. He can see right now into my heart. And when I act like I'm with him, don't you think that makes him mad? What if your kid did, did that to you? I love my father. Hey, son, how are you? Hey, son, how are you? Like, what is that? We do that kind of here, too. We sing songs that we really don't digest. We sing them because we like the movement of the song. Do we, do we really digest how wonderful the Father's love that he would send his only son to come? I mean, we sing that? Or do we like, man, I, finally Jared has one that has a happier beat to it. Finally! Man, you can see slow ones in there, like those long ones with all those words. You know, kind of like, man, I was a sinner lost in sin. I don't want to sing that. What's wrong with him? Or some of you, some of you, think by listening to a boring sermon for a half hour, you've done something kind for God. I will put up with Pastor Chris. I can't stand listening, but I'll do it. By golly, I'll do it. I don't know what he's saying up there. He's weird, but I know God will be happy with me if I just withstand it. Man, when he goes over 40 minutes, that's real double time for God. 
You know? You know what I'm saying? You're paying your due by putting up with the sermon. And so it gives you a sanction to leave and then do what you want. Because, let's be honest, I know what happens in deer camp. We go Sunday so we can... When I was a kid, like when I really got saved, I'll tell you what the difference was. When I really got saved, it was really, a re- I've told my story a number of times, but it was a wrestling match, and it was a wrestling match on this point. I used to go to church, and I used to confess knowing I'd do the same thing the next weekend. But I'd confess because I thought that's how you pay for it. But my issue when I really got saved was this confession means I'm done. I'm sorry, and I need to change. That was, that was real death. That was death. And some of us just kind of were pirates. We wear a mask. Some of the most religious places have the most wicked people. So what should we do about the pirates? Do we let them play the hypocrite? Do we ignore them? Do we put them in positions of leadership? Paul says, no, no. A thousand times, no, they're actually dangerous because according to verse 11, they are upsetting whole families. And they are gaining shameful gain. They are looting people like pirates. In 25 years of serving the church, I've come across a lot of pirates. I have actually seen pirates destroy my grandmother and my grandfather. Destroyed their, not just their faith, but their lives. I've seen it. They stole everything from them. And they were liars. I've witnessed friends who have seen loved ones have their faith shipwrecked because of pirates and bad preachers. And so if we just let pirates prattle away with empty talk, it can be actually really destructive. And so what Paul says is they must be, look at verse 11, they must be silenced. Wow. That means they must be told to be quiet and shut up. Stop it. Reason why, Timothy says, because some teaching can actually spread like gangrene. Gangrene is that infection that if you don't chop off a leg or an arm, it can go to your heart and and kill you. But here's the problem. People don't like it when you kind of say, that teacher's bad. That movie's bad. No, that teacher's bad. I should be a preaching critic. That theology is bad. If, if you're an office watcher, you know what I'm talking about. People don't like when you call people out. But Paul did it all the time. He called out Alexander the coppersmith. said, watch out for that guy. He said, Diotrephes. Don't have anything to do with him. He, he's ambitious. Peter called out Simon Magus. And Luther called out the Pope. The Pope? Wow. That was why they hunted him down. And wanted to kill Luther. I've had people leave our church because I disagreed. And I tried to do it kindly. They'd give me books to read. I'd read the book. I'd say, that book is trash. And they got mad. They really got mad. And I, and here, and, and I, had, I had somebody leave because we were in a prayer group with men. And this guy is just talking how great Benny Hinn is. And I said, stop it. And he said, what? And I said, do you know the theology Benny Hinn even teaches? He's a charlatan. And a guy says, how dare you? 
said, how dare I? And I, I said to him, how come doctors? So if, if I go to a doctor and the doctor says, don't try that medicine, it doesn't work. We take it, like face value, okay. Or if you go to your stockbroker and ask them, what about this investment strategy? He goes, no, that's a bad interest rate. Don't do that. But when we go to preachers and they say, that's heresy, we're like, oh, how dare you? Wait, I studied this. Benny Hinn's a fool in his theology. Oh, you're not allowed to say that. And so the guy left the church. And that guy who I said that that book is garbage to, 1995, and it's some of the worst. The Harbinger's some of the worst argument I've ever read in my life. And he said, how dare you criticize that book? And they leave. I remember my wife and I were at this uh, church, went to my home church, and this family we really liked invited us over to a Bible study at their house. We went to this Bible study, and they invited this weird guy, like really charismatic, tall, good-looking guy, and he started preaching annihilationism. That means if you're not a Christian and you die, you don't go to hell. You just are annihilated. And I said, that's wrong. And he's like, oh, he looked at me like this. I used to think like that too. I'm like, what? I said, what is that? He's like, you'll come to the light someday. You'll come. And I said, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And, I, and we left, and they thought we were rude and all that, but the guy was wrong. And I went to the leader of our church. He said, yeah, we kicked that guy out a couple years ago because he was spreading heresy. People won't like you when you try to say it's just wrong. The second thing he says is look at um, verse 13. So this testimony is true. In other words, he's saying this is the way pirates are. They really are liars. And he said, therefore, rebuke them sharply. That means get in their face and say, you got to change. But this time, it's not just to stop them, but so they will be sound in their faith. So really, rebuking is for love. It's out of love, because I care about you. Proverbs 25, 27.5 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Disagreement is often the clearest sign of love. Sometimes a pirate doesn't know he's a pirate. And it's good to just say you're wrong. And it, you have to have backed up why you're saying that. Do you remember... And some of you won't like this, but do you remember Rob Bell? Do you remember Rob Bell? Rob Bell was incredibly popular in Grand Rapids area. Actually, the first, Rob Bell was popular, the first, before he was popular, he was singing at our, at our church. It was my very first youth event. He was singing in a punk rock band at Kent City High School. And he's singing, I'm hanging over hell on a corn stalk. Kind of a weird song, really odd. Singing punk rock, I want, I have decided to follow. Like, man, he's bad. Derek, were you there for that? It was Big Phil. That was the name of him. It was so weird. But he, he would teach. Oh, he was really good. Like, he's captivating speaker. But over the years, his theology started morphing and twisting to where it was just plain wrong. But if you told people he was wrong, they would defend him and say, how dare you? You're slandering him. I've got to tell you, now he has led so many people out of the church who have abandoned God, you would not believe it. You wouldn't believe it. He's now Oprah's, you know, guru, and he hangs out with this Elizabeth lady who wrote Eat, Love, Pray, which is she is as pagan as they get, but he's best friends with her. But at the time, if you said he's, he's erring, people would say, you don't have the right to say that. 
And now some people who followed him don't believe this book. They don't believe in absolute truth. Piracy is dangerous, and it needs to be confronted. And people practicing it need to be rebuked, hopefully so you'll get them to come back to the truth. So the question is, the final question is, are you a pirate? Maybe you've been listening today and you've wondered, huh, am I a pirate? Do I have friends that are pirates? How do you tell if you're a pirate? The answer is kind of simple. I think it's verse 15. Verse 15 is what I would call a spiritual Rorschach blot, ink blot test. Ink blot test is where you'd take ink and you'd put it on there. So if you see that ink right there, and if you see a butterfly, you are a good person. If you see two bloody guns facing each away from each other, you are evil and dark. I'm just, that's just an illustration. That's not true. I see the guns. Anyhow, we'll keep going. <laughs> but the idea here is chapter, verse 15 is sort of the test that will show you what's really inside of me. Listen to what Paul writes. To the pure, to those who are really his. Those who are ruled by the Spirit of God in their mind, all things are pure. But to the defiled, the unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. You see how he's talking about what's really underneath the mask? It's how you see things, how you see the world. One writer puts it like this, an impure mind, a pirate, will take everything it sees and will make it the means of increasing their polluted heart. So it's an issue of how do you see the world? An impure mind will take everything it sees and will make it the means of continual pollution. What do you laugh at? What do you laugh at? Is everything to you a sexual innuendo? How do you see women as an object or a person made in the image of God? An object to have or a person that is God's child, God's daughter, somebody's sister. I'll tell you right now, Hollywood doesn't look at it like that. A lot of politicians don't look at it like that. Did you see that one judge who boasted he was with 50 women? Now that's, that's, that's sick. That's where our culture's at. Do you see church as a, a way to perform, a ladder to climb, or chance to worship a living God to get to know Him better? Do you see uh, friendship as a way to get something or to serve? Do you rejoice when others get a pay increase or do you get jealous? Do you weep when those you dislike weep or do you say, finally, they get what they deserve? What's the name of that again, Jared? I... Schadenfreude. Are you a person... That's German schadenfreude when somebody that you don't like fails and you really delight in it. A pirate is always fighting for themselves. How about you? Look how the section ends in verse 16. Never forget. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And here's what he's saying. It's very simple. Just because you profess Christ does not necessarily mean you possess Christ. A lot of people say I'm a Christian, raised in a Christian home. 
it doesn't matter what you say. It matters who you are. And it comes out. It will be seen. It's that old Adam, Adam that goes like, um, just, cause in your, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. In the same way, just because you're in a church doesn't make you a Christian. It's the same thing. It's funny, I was, I told this story, and somebody said, tell it again. I wasn't going to tell it. They said, it's good to tell. I, there was a guy that wanted to be discipled by me, wanted me to teach him theology, and so I would meet with him once a week, and we'd go over heavy-duty theology. And one day, our subject for the day was studying about the impeccability of Christ. That's a fancy word which means Jesus was perfectly pure because he's God. So in his nature, he cannot sin. He can't. But he's a man. Yeah, I know he's a man, but he's 100% God too, so he can't sin. Even though he's tempted, he'll never fall to the temptation. So I'm explaining this to this kid, and we are in Panera on Alpine. And we're in Panera, and I'm saying that's what scholars teach, and here's some of the theologians throughout the years have said how Jesus is impeccable. He's perfect. He can't sin. And the guy said, I don't like that because that doesn't help me because I can sin, and I want to be like Christ, and so I think Jesus could sin. I said, but he can't sin because Jesus is sinless, because he's God. Well, I think Jesus could have sinned. He chose not to. And I said, well, I said, you could think that, but that's not true. And this guy's like, well, I don't like that teaching, so I'm just going to believe that Jesus could have sinned. He just chose not to, and he had the Spirit, therefore, I'm not going to sin. So me and Jesus are alike. And as we were talking this debate, there's a guy sitting next to us and looked at me, and he said, you need to listen to that young man. He's got a lot of great questions, and you might be hurting his faith by denying those questions. Let the man question. And I asked the guy, I said, and I've never seen a guy before, and I said, can I ask you a question? Are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm Baha'i. Baha'i faith. I said, well, people in the Baha'i faith don't believe Jesus was God. They just think he's a man, right? Yes. Okay, so you are not a Christian, correct? And you don't think Jesus is the Son of God. That's correct. I said, well, your, your opinion doesn't mean anything in our discussion because we're Christians. So thank you, but don't, no thank you. And, and the guy was a little upset, and I said, come on, let's go. I took the guy outside, and the guy said, how dare you? How dare you be so rude to that guy? I said, I wasn't rude. I didn't yell at him or anything. I just said, we are not on the same page. He said, I think, I think God's going to hurt your ministry because you weren't witnessing to that guy. <laughs> I said, we're talking about theology right now. And the guy clearly does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's wrong. And this guy was so mad that I denied the opportunity to witness to somebody. I said, look, I said, they're... Our objective is to talk about truth. He clearly denied the truth. I'm not going to argue with him. And this guy who was with me just thought that I had no right to state my opinion so firmly. But it's true. If something's true, you must state it that way. Because we live in a day and age where everything now is accepted as, oh, that's your truth? Fine. But I have a responsibility. It's to be a true witness to the one who is. And he really is. He's alive. And his son, Jesus Christ, is the only way. He is the only truth. And he is the only life. And nobody gets to God except by 